Thank you for tuning in to the WAM Podcast, where women empower women in business and manufacturing. Hello and welcome to the Women and Manufacturing Podcast. My name is Fran Brunel, and I'm the president of Accelerated Manufacturing Brokers, Inc., and your host for today's show. Today, we're honored to have with us Tanya DeSalvo. Tanya is the president of Criterion Tool in Brook Park, Ohio. She received her bachelor's in marketing from Bowling Green State University. In addition to managing a precision machine shop, Mrs. DeSalvo is past president of the Cleveland chapter of the National Tooling and Machining Association, a past board member of the Alliance for Working Together, along with holding memberships in BioOhio, WireNet, and the Precision Machined Products Association. She currently resides in Middleburg Heights, Ohio, with her husband, Ted, and their two children. Tanya, welcome. Hi, Fran. Great to be here. Thank you. Thank you for being with us today. We're so excited that you're here. I know there's a whole bunch of different topics that you shared with me that you want to talk about, but before we do that, I would really like you, if you don't mind, to introduce our listeners to Criterion Tool. Give us a little bit of the history, your role, and how your role changed over time. Oh, it's my favorite thing to talk about precision manufacturing. So <laughs> I'm lucky enough that I am a third generation business owner. Criterion Tool was started by my grandfather. My dad and my uncle ran the business for many years. And sometimes as in family businesses happen, there was a little bit of divorce there. It took a while for the family to come back together. And in that time, my mom and my dad ran the business. So I got involved from a sales standpoint in the late 90s. And that's all I did was do sales. Over time, I morphed into operations. Getting involved with the NTMA gave me an opportunity to see some of the next generation stuff. And I chuckle because I didn't want my dad to be 90 and me be 60, and he still comes in and kind of opens the mail every day. <laughs> Definitely needed to have a succession plan. So we were I'm really chuckling because that. I have a client who's 90, who's literally yeah. 90 years old, and that's exactly what's going on. I'm yeah. sorry to interrupt. Continue. That's okay. Well, I, I just liked manufacturing, didn't really know too much about it, obviously, other than being in the family business. I worked outside of the business most of the beginning of my career in new business development and sales. Fortunate enough to do it for my dad, so we built some things together. But I do think it's interesting that you know, I wanted to change the perception from the mom and pop shop to a precision manufacturing facility. So over the years, as I did operations and then ultimately in 2010 worked out the quote unquote family deal to buy my dad out, he's out of the business. He's out of the day-to-day -day operations. Still alive, very lucky to have Dennis Anderson still on the planet and uh, giving me his two cents when I, when I need it and looking at new equipment, man, he's phenomenal because He's a practitioner of the business, and I am not. I mean, I'm running it. I'm an operator, but I can't go out and make a part. I could talk a good game, but I can't do what he did. And I think as we continue to grow and the whole business gets more complicated, I'm not so sure he wanted to do what I do today. So yeah. it's been quite a ride, and we're continuing to grow, and we're running into all the challenges that small manufacturing companies run into, which is talent development, 
both internally and finding the right people to to join our team. And one of the groups you mentioned, which was the Alliance for Working Together, that's a Cleveland-based group, and it came together during the recession times, which was, you know, seven, eight, nine, maybe even in 2010, for small business owners to talk about what their problems were, share business, if there was things that needed to be shared, and the group started focusing on how do we develop the talent pipeline. So the goal is to promote rewarding careers in manufacturing, and that stuck with me because I happened to go to college, but I like working in the shop. I don't, I mean, I think making things are cool, and I want to figure out how to get that downstream to the high school kids, to the grade school kids, why it makes sense, because there's a lot of people that could be really successful in this industry, and they just have to know it's okay. Their mom and dad need to know it's okay, that they can come into a trade and make a really good living, and my goodness, the trade has changed. I'm sure you see that every day in in your business. Sure. Um, But it's very different than it used to be. It is different than it used to be. And I, you know, it's interesting that you say, you know, the parents need to know it's okay. The guidance counselors need to know it's okay. I'm sure you have some interesting thoughts on how manufacturing as a whole got to this place where there is such a skills gap, right? I do. And one of my favorite visions, and I can paint this picture for everybody listening is if you've seen it, it's a picture of a couple of guys sitting on a girder in New York City. They're construction guys. And it looks like it's maybe from the 30s or 40s, maybe in 50s. I don't know. But they're having lunch. And they're obviously immigrants and they're sitting. And over the city, you can just see all of New York City in the background. And they have like no safety gear. They don't have anything. And it's a pretty popular picture. And people look at that and they go, oh, yeah, but construction's yep. not like that today. And I say that's the same thing with manufacturing. We're not like you think you have it stuck in your head. I mean, we have white walls. We're air conditioned. Everything's run with a joystick or a controller now. There's Mm. people come in clean and they leave clean in our facility. I mean, we're making parts from the size of the screws that hold your eyeglasses together to about the size of a softball. So when you make parts for the no-failure industries, the people that buy those components expect a certain level of cleanliness and organization and bright lit facilities. So we're different than manufacturing was in the old days too. If you can play a video game, great. If you can operate your cell phone, you could program a little robot to stand next to you. I mean, that's how far technologies come from the old days of cranking handles and moving wheels to get something to move in a XYZ plane. Very, I love that comparison to video games. I've never heard anyone say that before. But thinking about it, it's really true. The kids that love the video games would likely transition well into certain aspects of manufacturing. Great point. When you watch that cam software run, so the machine doesn't crash into itself and you get to see tooling and material removed virtually looks just like the video games. It's not even as cool as the video games today. That's amazing. Hey, I just want you to touch base. You said that your company deals with your customers are in no failure industries. For listeners who might not be familiar with what you're referencing, talk to us a little bit more. I want to give you opportunity to talk about Criterion Tool, and then we'll jump back in and talk about some of the skills gap. And you're doing some amazing things in unusual outside-of-the-box thinking. But talk to us about the no-failure industries that you serve. 
So we make parts for the medical device industry. If you tore your rotator cuff and they had to put an implant in, one of our components may be part of the uh, repair process that they used for that. We do fixation. So if you see somebody that maybe had an impact injury, they broke their ankle or their wrist and they have pins and screws, sometimes you can see them, sometimes they're implanted and you cannot. So we're doing things that help put people back together, small bone trauma, spinal screws and plates, things like that. So certainly you don't want a failure as you think of that. You don't want your mom or your grandma to get one of those parts that isn't going to work properly or wasn't made to print. From the aerospace and defense side, we're making some mechanisms that help missiles find their location. So when you see that TV show on the news and the weapon fires and the missile comes out straight and then makes a left-hand turn and they show you the video where they drive it through the front door, we're making some inner working components for some of the defense and aerospace industries. And so when you look at it, it may not look real cool, but the whole system is what makes it pretty nifty. We just attended a trade show and it was a, a photonics show. So that's the light and measuring light and all the lenses and cameras that allow you to look at the nebula and get really cool pictures. I mean, these folks, we thought we work in tents, point zero 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 four. These guys work in light waves and they're measuring the speed of a photon to the moon and back. I mean, yeah. it was heady stuff. All I want to do is make the metal components or plastic that hold all that stuff together. But it's amazing what it takes to make the world go around if you just sat still and looked at vehicles and washing machines and telephone poles and fences. Manufacturing is a really broad brushstroke. We picked our little narrow niche based on the type of equipment we have and the certifications that make it that help us support those industries because you certainly have to have qualified and trained folks to yeah. play in our sandbox to be able to deliver. That's funny. I wrote, oh gosh, probably more than a decade ago, a blog article about how manufacturing has been bad-mouthed for so long by, you know, everyone, you need to go to college to do, be a lawyer, be a doctor, work for a nonprofit, whatever. And the blog article was about get through a day without a manufactured product. Go ahead, smarty pants, get through a day without a manufactured product. We need manufacturing and a strong manufacturing base in the United States. I'm interested to talk to you a little bit about the fact that you came into this family business, bought your dad out, you took over the helm of a company, but you said something very interesting a little while ago, and that is that he was the technician and you were not. So was that difficult? Was that a difficult transition to take over the helm of a company when you don't necessarily know how to go out and make the parts? Talk a little bit about that. I'm going to tell you what I'm aiming for here that I'd like you to speak to. I think that I want to see women taking over manufacturing companies. We, you know, my company, we sell small manufacturing companies. And so often it's someone who is not from the industry is coming in to acquire their way into entrepreneurship. But it's all men, for the most part, that are doing it. And I think that we're going to see a dramatic change in this. And I'm curious about what your experience was, because your skill set was different than dad's. Yeah, very much so. It's, it's, 
it's funny because I think that was a little bit bigger hang up for maybe him than it was for me. Number one, I just had blind ambition and a ton of chutzpah, and I figured, well, we'll just figure it out, which fortunately we did, but it could have gone either way sometimes. There's just business is hard. It doesn't matter if it's a machine shop or any other small business that may be running, and I don't know that it it's just complicated. There's people, there's customers, there's systems, there's processes, and that's even before we make a part that's even before we get the order out to the shop to talk about all the technical aspects and the work holding and the tools and the coolant and the tolerances. So it was challenging. I think I am a student of learning and I really believe I like making stuff. I think it's cool. I like to stick my nose in a machine and I'll be honest, there were some people that were on my dad's team that really had a problem with the daughter of the boss was taking over and that they couldn't see me being successful and they couldn't play here in our sandbox, as I affectionately call it, because they didn't want to work for a girl. And wow. over time, some people fell off the team for that reason. I think I earned my stripes internally, and we worked really hard on all the other aspects of business that are a process. I think there was a time back in the day, and it's still very true for the guys on the shop floor, where you needed to know the craft or the trade, right? So mm-hmm. to be a mature adult at this point and want to get into this trade, you definitely have to take a step back and learn. It's possible. But from a business ownership standpoint, if you were the architect of a family of four and got those kids through college, you might have the skill set that it takes to run a business. Like there's a lot of transferable skills. It's about patience. It's about listening. It's about learning and trying to find the best way to get things done. I mean, and take care of the customer. So my skill set may not have aligned and I may have been gifted the family last name that allowed me to have a shot at it, but it has Mm -hmm. definitely taken some hard work to continue to earn the right. Whether I'm sitting in front of a customer, no, I'm not an engineer or in front of my team. No, I'm not a programmer, but it doesn't make sense. Like just common sense stuff goes a really long way. And I want to be sure that we don't lose that in America because that's the tough part is plugging in the common sense factor sometimes. But there have been (laughs) quite a few trials and tribulations and I've surrounded myself with good people that help in the technical aspect and in the estimating aspect because those are not things that I can that come naturally to me. I've learned a lot, but I would still be hard pressed to execute every single job function in this building. Hmm. Wow. So it's funny you say about how your experience different than dad's and you said dad had a bigger problem with it than you did. And I, I just, I chuckle at that because, you know, as people come out of corporate America to acquire manufacturing companies, That is the argument that I most often hear from the retiring shop owner. They're concerned that someone with sales and marketing experience is going to ruin their legacy. And it's not true. It's interesting because that's the skill set that's most often lacking in founder-led companies and needed the most, you know? And as a third generation, I wanted to be sure that I don't kill the golden goose. So I, yep. I really, I think one of the things about being kind of a female in manufacturing is, I don't know if it's the nature nurture thing. I mean, there's a little bit of girl power going on here and that my goal is to see the entity succeed. Not, I don't have a big ego around 
me being individually successful. And I think that that's helped bridge some gaps because I got a lot of folks that are really good at what they do and they tend to come with some swag. And I got to be sure that I like that swag and that's why I hired them, but I got to be sure I can keep everybody playing on the same team in the same sandbox focused on the same goal. And that's sometimes a challenge. Yeah. And I think you're right. Women are uniquely qualified to own manufacturing companies because of the nurture thing. People don't get how much of that is necessary in to have a successful company. Period. It doesn't have to be manufacturing, just the business. Right. right. Balance exactly. it all. Yes. Yes. And, yeah. the, and the ability to say, I don't know. Can you help me? Yep. Right. Those words stumble sometimes out of people's mouth, but I'm like, hey, I don't know how you learn to be successful. You got to hang around smart people and you got to make a lot of mistakes and you got to make them to learn. And if you don't make them, the business will consume you because it's happening around you and no decision is a decision. So the ability to make one and then figure out if it was the right one seems to be the biggest asset. Test fast, yeah. fail fast, adjust fast. Keep moving because the, otherwise you're going to get swamped. Yeah, love the fail fast thing, that it's absolutely necessary, right? Yeah. So what were the challenges in moving into that you haven't already discussed, really being the visionary for your company? And how is your vision different than dad's was? That's a good question. I think that being the visionary for the company is hard sometimes because you actually have to pause all the day-to-day -day operations and the noise and step back and think about where do we go from here. And one yeah. of the ways that I've flipped that a little bit is just focusing on where do we get the next set of talent. We support the local BattleBots program where we get high school kids in here to build a robot that weighs 15 pounds and go up against other schools and manufacturing companies to, for, for a winner takes all kind of tournament. It started with a few companies and now I think there's 24 teams. So those are high schools or school classes and business owners that do that. So I'm trying to show that as a business owner and a female and somebody that's not kind of the old gray-haired wily veteran, we're just trying to skin that cat differently. I think I look different as a business owner to these kids in particular when we're talking about the high school kids. We try to bring as many of them as we can through the shop and show them that my team looks a little different because we reflect a little bit younger because we're trying really hard to get those guys in here so you don't walk around and see all folks that are closer to retirement age than not. They see people that look like them. And we work hard at our internal training. So once we get those folks, even if they come from some other path, you know, we hired a gal that had worked at a butcher shop and she had joined our team. And one was a librarian and she joined our team. That once wow. they get here, we're going to teach them what they know so that they can be successful and can continue. And obviously the end game for them is what's important to them. They want to learn something. They want to make more money. So we have to demonstrate that we can get them there. Yeah. I think that that's important. Let me ask you about, so you're talking about going into the high schools and things like that, but mm -hmm. I know that you've also been involved in really pulling, really thinking outside the box and beyond high school, people from other communities. Can you speak to that a little bit? Well, as a small business, there's a couple of areas that we can try to explore, We'll always talk to the folks that may have had some type of criminal record in the past. 
and then we learn a little bit about them, see if their skill set fits. We try to find out how recent was their situation, what can we do to help them continue to be employed or change jobs. That's really not a deal breaker when they join, if they can join our team. So we try to keep an open mind with that. And the second area that's been pretty interesting, and we're here in Cleveland, so I went to a Cleveland Cavaliers game, is the LGBTQ community. I think I got all the letters right. But supporting all the different kind of alternative lifestyles, because those folks still need an employment. They need a safe place to work. We need people with good skill sets. So is there a match there? And when I went to the Cavs game and they were supporting the all-for-one and all-inclusive, I thought I really got an opportunity to see I mean, you sit and look at the stands, you look at all the folks, and, like, there's a huge population of people that may have a different lifestyle than I'm accustomed to, but they all still need to make a living, and they all still are really good at what they do. So what are we missing, and how do we tap into getting those folks involved in our trade, or if they're involved in the trade already, how can we support them and or get them to join my team and have them be comfortable? So there's a lot of education and discussion and communication that needs to happen with the folks inside of our full walls as well as trying to recruit appropriately, I guess would be the best way to say that, without trying to be all-inclusive and not offensive to anyone. So I think that right. that's a really I love it. Both of those two populations are, there's a lot of folks in there. And as a small company, we can set the standard and or maybe make modifications if there are extenuating circumstances for folks that may have a felony record that can't get a job. I mean, now some of the larger organizations are pushing you know, you got to have a college degree. Well, I got a lot of guys from the School of Hard Knocks, and I'd line them up any day. I guess uh-huh, so right? a college degree because a lot of this business is the ability to see something, remember what happened, and transfer the knowledge from that problem to this problem to move ahead. We don't want to have Groundhog Day every day. Like occasionally, we want some of that experience to work to our advantage. Sure, and I think too, you know, especially with folks that were incarcerated, you know, the sentencing laws are changing and people were incarcerated for minor, minor drug infractions, right? Yes. And it basically ruined their life where many industries won't hire them. And I think there's a huge opportunity for manufacturers all over the country to welcome some of these people into the process. Let me ask you, you talked about like getting them in the door, right? Anybody, not just someone that was previously incarcerated, but, you know, high school student, whoever is coming into your process. And you talked about training them to keep keeping them there. Can you speak to that at all? Like what, from a culture perspective, what does Criterion Tool do to make sure these folks have the tools that they need to grow in the industry and grow in your company? Well, we offer a state-sponsored apprenticeship program, and for those of you that aren't familiar with what that is, we will can offer it to anyone, but typically you have to put in two years of classes, so you would end up with your associate's degree from a local college that supports the manufacturing program, and then you have to do, I believe it's 8,000 hours of manufacturing time documented against various sections in our facility or various areas to demonstrate competency. So you put four years of your time in and you graduate with a journeyman's card and also then an associate's degree. So we support that at the highest level. And not everybody wants to make that kind of commitment. They may not have the time. So we've kind of instituted what we call Criterion College. And 
it's 80% of our internal work processes, kind of on-the-job training, how we do things mm -hmm. here. And we've taken the time to get our subject matter experts together, and we documented it, and we've put it in a searchable data bank electronically, so it all lives. There's no paper copies. Um, it lives electronically, so you can print it out, do some self-training, and then get kind of audited or tested out of that. So it could be as simple as how we clean the mistbusters in this building to how we measure a park. So we want to have some serious baselines and standards internally, not tribal knowledge, which kind of in the manufacturing companies, and I would guess in any companies, there's the way we always did it, and then the way like maybe Sally did it was different than the mm -hmm. way Chris did it. You kind of right. had to pick a way, so we set the way. If you read the work instruction on how to do that yet, go into DocuWare, which is our electronic file cabinet, and pull up Mistbusters, and it'll tell you what to do because we don't want to relearn that lesson because maybe it's something we don't do all the time. So that's yeah. been helpful to help new people just understand what the culture is in our building, and you kind of you learn those the hard way. Yeah, everybody starts at a new company and they're like the kid in kindergarten walking out of the lunchroom with his tray. He doesn't know where to sit at the lunch table because he doesn't really have <laughs> friends and he doesn't know how it works. So we try to take some of that mystery out and say, here's the first five things you need to be trained on to function in our building. And then we have people start helping you learn those things and now you have five new friends. And we're not that large. We have less than 40 people. But it's just nice to know that now you're you're building those relationships, you're learning how you breathe air in our building, you're learning how specifically we do things, and all that becomes foundational to working on a machine and working on a specific customer's parts. We all have to be sure we got some baselines that are and some commonalities before we go on to making those parts for the no-failure industries. Yeah. I love the term criterion college. I'm so stealing that for my company. <laughs> You know, so what you're doing is creating standard operating procedures and insisting upon them. And so there's consistency of approach among all your people, which is critical to your customers, I'm sure. Yeah. It also makes so one of the things that in my industry, when we're trying to decide whether to take a client, is to look at whether or not a company has standard operating procedures and if they're very well documented. Not only does it make you successful while you're operating the manufacturing company, it makes companies that do such incredibly attractive to acquirers. So good for you. And I think that was one of the things that my dad, when he had a team of really technical people, because if we go back, you know, 10 years and beyond that words in time, he did have those technical people. So they could stand around and have a conversation and all technically be at the same level and then go execute where now we need, I don't have that. I need the really technical people to take the time on the front end to do all the heavy lifting, if you will, and do all the thinking and try to take all the bugs out of the process and the program. So when it gets down to the new folks who don't have that horsepower and that experience, we've eliminated most of the variables so they can be as successful as we need them to be. And they're not organically going to be as technical as the Wiley veterans. So how do we help them? Right. We can't, we hired them. We can't, we need them they got to be able to do the job. And if we don't teach them, we're just shooting ourselves in the foot. So that that's it right. came out of, it kind of came out of like, I just, that drove me crazy that my dad just assumed everybody knew what was supposed to be done. And when you only mm -hmm. had 12, 15, 16 people in a company, that was one thing. But now that we've grown, 
I can't reach out and touch everyone and share my passion for why this customer is important and why that part's going to go into an infant with a spinal curvature and it needs to be perfect. Like I can mm-hmm. talk about that, but I need to know that they're going to do the inspection properly and all these other things that are just how we do things here are going to be done that way because we've taught you, not because we just assume you know. Right. And it's. I was listening to a business development thing recently, and the speaker was saying, how is it that you can have a McDonald's, a multi-billion dollar corporation run by teenagers? My how favorite is that analogy. possible? The French fries all right? taste the same. Exactly. And it because they have standard operating procedures, you know? So you have been engineers making French fries. That is for sure. (laughs) That's funny. Tanya, tell our listeners, please, if they would like to learn more about Criterion Tool, your services, or connect with you, how do they reach you? We have a fantastic website, and it can be found on the World Wide Web at www.criteriontool, C-R-I-T-E-R-I-O-N. T-O-O-L.com. We also have a fantastic page on LinkedIn. And I myself, Tanya DeSalvo, am on LinkedIn and I do postings daily. We have a Mechanical Monday posting, a Technical Tuesday, a Widget Wednesday, a Throwback Thursday, and a Freaky Friday post. So I just try to show everybody what it's like in the world of manufacturing. Some days are really good. Some days not so much, but we're always throwing some stuff up so uh, social media can see what it's like in the heat of battle. So we also have a Facebook page, Criterion Tool, and myself personally, I post on there as well. So we try to have a pretty good social media presence. And I think, Fran, that's an important piece from the recruiting standpoint as well, is that everybody carries the world around on their phone. So the folks need to be able to, if they see something cool, there's got to be a hyperlink that takes them to the next spot. So it's it's frictionless. The easier it can be to connect with people or with businesses or with vendors, the more likely we are going to want to continue to do that. So we've thrown up a lot of stuff on social media so we look attractive where the people that are look that's the population we want, so we're trying to be where they are. I guess that's the easiest way to say it. Yeah. Well, you've been an absolute pleasure to speak with. Wish you much success in the future. Thanks for sharing your story. Really, really appreciate it, Tanya. You're welcome. Thank you. I appreciate having the opportunity to talk about things I'm passionate about, which are women in business and promoting rewarding careers in manufacturing. So thanks again, Fran. I I really had a great time. My pleasure. Thank you for joining the WAM podcast, where women empower other women in business and manufacturing. For more shows like this, go to whampodcast.com. That's whampodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.